Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. The Lord willing, we'll be finishing up our series on Ecclesiastes next Sunday morning. Uh, this morning, we want to look at the seventh in the series and uh, talking today on the subject of living wisely. Living wisely. Uh, I tell you what, it's easy to see as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes why this book is grouped in the Old Testament section known as the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature. And we're going to see more of that today. And I think uh, the reason for that grouping will uh, be quite apparent. Don't miss tonight, even if you don't have a ticket for the meal uh, the meal will get underway by 5.30, around 6 or shortly thereafter. We'll be moving into the evening service. And it will be a service tonight focusing in on the theme, of course, of Thanksgiving. And I'll be bringing a Thanksgiving uh, message this evening out of uh, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14, uh, Extravagant Love. And so you be here tonight and be a part of that service. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? We're going to skip around a little bit this morning in chapter 10 and then get over into chapter 11. In chapter 10, Solomon says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Down in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him for he does not know the way into the city. Verse 20. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north... In the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. 
All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Father, we thank you this morning for that unseen hand that the trio has just sung about. We thank you for your guiding hand in our lives. Your blessings have certainly been manifold. Father, I know if we could go around the room and give testimony, the first thing each of us would be grateful for would be that day when by the power of your Spirit you convicted us of our sin and our need of a Savior. And you drew us to faith in Jesus Christ. And you changed our lives. And Lord, that's what redemption should do. It should change us. As Russell said in his testimony a few moments ago, with his redemption came a whole new world view and a world outlook. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives as believers. That at conversion, you didn't leave us. That's when you came to dwell in us and to continue to transform us by your word, by your spirit each and every day. Father, we thank you for the opportunities of ministry that you give us. May they be fruitful. We thank you for the opportunity to come today and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a blessing that many people in the world do not enjoy. We thank you for our families, for our parents who instructed us, for our spouses who love us unconditionally, for our children and the heritage that they are. And so, Lord, today for all of your many blessings, we simply want to give you praise. Now, help us to understand as believers... That these days call for wise living. We pray that we would answer that call. And in even little ways be found faithful. I pray for that one today who's hurting. That you would come alongside of them and strengthen them. And give them your comfort and your perfect peace that passes all understanding. For the one desperately need in need of salvation, that today that they would understand their offense before a holy God. And that they would be broken and humble before you. And today would be the day that they place their belief and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Recently, I shared with you some uh, lessons that children have written to us about. And I'll share again a couple of those that I shared before. Uh, One of them said, one child wrote, no matter how hard you try, you simply cannot baptize cats. Another one wrote, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. Thirdly, if your sister hits you, don't hit her back. They always catch the second person.
And fourthly, you can't trust dogs to watch your food. Now those are some cute life lessons from kids. Now we could all go around the room today and share lessons that we've learned in life. And some of them would be serious and some perhaps lighthearted and even humorous. There was a newspaper columnist who was famous for saying, Life is uncertain, so eat your dessert first. Now actually that saying comes from a book published years ago based on the story of a woman who loved dessert, but one day she put off eating her dessert until later that evening. The problem was she was a passenger aboard the Titanic. Somebody has said life is what happens to you while you are making other plans. Someone else has said there are seven stages of life. Spills, drills, thrills, bills, eels, pills, and wills. Well, folks, in chapters 10 and 11, Solomon shares some lessons that he has learned in life. Now, I want you to remember what I've been saying. He's been writing to us, giving us perspectives of his observances of life as he lived life under the sun. And so oftentimes we would see Solomon saying things that maybe don't jive with some other principle later on in the Word of God. And we have to understand in that matter Solomon's approach. So oftentimes as Solomon is looking at life under the sun, he's looking at it from the vantage point of somebody who is not bringing God into the picture. And so he's looking at life under the sun without considering the sovereign God who is above the sun. And we have to understand many times in this book that is precisely Solomon's approach. But in these two chapters, we see that he really has some valuable lessons for us about living wisely. And so in these two chapters, it's almost like he's coming around and he's just sharing with us some very common sense approaches to life. I want to give you four of those. First of all, from the first four verses of chapter 10, he would urge upon us the fact that we are not to despise small things. Don't despise small things. He says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. He's talking here about the way of wisdom and the way of folly or foolishness. And the first thing that we need to understand here about this is that a little foolishness can defile a man. He's using the analogy of dead flies. Dead flies rotting away in perfume can spoil the whole bottle of perfume. Folks, how many times do we know when seemingly wise people ended up doing something very foolish? And something very foolish ends up ruining their testimony or setting the whole course of their life on a bad road. 
You know, in the, in the Song of Solomon, we're told that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about cleaning out the leaven. He says, a, a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Solomon is saying, don't ignore little things. Certainly don't ignore a little bit of folly in your heart. Charles Spurgeon once preached a sermon entitled Little Sins. In that sermon he said, the best men have always been afraid of little sins. Men with their eyes well opened by divine grace have seen a whole hell slumbering in the smallest sin. I think recently of the 45-year-old actress Natasha Richardson who played in the movie Parent Trap, who fell on a beginner slope skiing in Canada back in 2009. She hit her head on the ice. She got up, she shook it off. She was embarrassed that she had fallen in front of everybody and made some jokes about it. An hour later, she was complaining of a massive headache. Shortly thereafter, she fell into a coma and a couple of days later, she was declared brain dead. Little did she know from that small accident, she had started a brain hemorrhage that would cost her her life. Now granted, hers was an accident, but how many times do we allow little things, willful sins to remain? And little do we know that those little sins may be hemorrhaging and festering into something a lot bigger. I want to ask you this morning, are there some little things going on in your life? Maybe some little pet sins that you are harboring in your walk with Christ. And you're entertaining those things and you're playing with those little sins in your life. And you're not dealing with those things. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with those things. And you think that there's no consequence to that. But I want to tell you something. When there are little things in your life that you allow to go unchecked, those things can fester. And pretty soon before you know it, you have compromised your testimony. Or you've made some kind of decision that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. Deal with those little things in your life. Well, by way of blessing, notice he says, secondly here, a little wisdom can go a long way to bless a man. You see, the opposite works in that principle as well. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. In ancient times, the right was seen as the place of honor, and the left was seen as the place of dishonor. You'll remember in the book of Genesis how the patriarchs, when they would place their hands on their sons and offer that blessing, they would place their right hand usually on the oldest son and give him the biggest blessing. At the end of Jacob's life, after he had learned that Joseph was still alive in Egypt and and they went down there and saw Joseph and, and there Jacob was an aged man and he was about to die, Joseph brought his sons to his dad and remember what his dad did? His dad reversed his hands and he said no dad this son's the oldest put your right hand on him and he said no because the younger is gonna uh, uh, the, the, the older is gonna serve the younger the place of the right was the place of honor 
Wisdom, Solomon says, puts you in the right direction, whereas foolishness points you in the wrong direction. Just like we know people who have ruined their lives on little things, we also know people who were faithful with little things, and that created more opportunity for them, and perhaps they ended up with greatness. You know what? I've seen this in marriage counseling. I've had couples come before me and, and, you know, positive little things were going on across the decades in their marriage. And those little things, they didn't really understand at the time what a wise investment those little things were. But by doing the little things and doing them correctly, they, they, they added blessing to their years. And, and again, the other principle, maybe some, a couple comes in and they don't realize how the little negative habits over the years have grown. And compromise the marriage. So again Solomon is saying don't brush off little things. Don't ever neglect ridding your life of things that are negative and filling your life with good things. Consistently do the small things that matter. Ladies and gentlemen take time to pray. Take time to read your Bible, sow the seed of the Word of God every day with people around you. Maybe there's an unbeliever that you work with and and every day or every week you can plant a little seed in that person. It makes a difference. Don't forget to show kindness uh, to those around you constantly. Maybe a thank you note when somebody does something kind for you or an expression like that. It goes a long way. It it means a lot. Be kind to others. Practice humility before God. A big one is be faithful in the little things that God puts in front of you. When you get the opportunity to serve God in a small way, be faithful to that. And then one day out there in the future somewhere, it may surprise you the difference that you end up making in a big way. You say, how did that happen? It was because you were faithful in the small things. God has a way of blessing those who are faithful in small things. And instilling within them larger responsibilities. And so somebody comes along to you in church maybe and they say, Hey, will you do this or will you do that? Don't brush it, brush it off. And if it's a small thing, don't brush it off saying, You know what? Somebody else can do that. I, I want to do something more visible. I don't want to do something small behind the scenes. No, do that thing that's small behind the scenes. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the little things. And verse 3, he points out that eventually things will come to light. If the fool doesn't address his folly, eventually that's going to come to light. And conversely, the wisdom of the wise man is going to end up coming to light. Now initially it's hard to see how verse 4 fits into this discussion, but probably Solomon is saying even a little calmness or a little bit of composure can go a long way. You can have a king mad at you. You can have a ruler mad at you, but a little calmness, a little composure can go a long ways in diffusing the situation. And so again, don't despise small things. I want you to notice his second life lesson for us out of chapter 10 that he would have us to learn if we're going to live wisely. And that is that words matter. 
Words matter. And beginning in verse 12, he begins discussing this. Words reveal wisdom or foolishness. He says, The words of a wise man's mouth win in favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be or who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way into the city. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Words have a way of revealing either wisdom or foolishness. It's been said there are two kinds of people. Those who have something to say and those who have to say something. Robert Frost said, half the world is composed of people who have something to say and can't. The other half who have nothing to say and keep on saying it. Folks, words are are a window to the heart and the soul. A wise man will be known by his words and so will a fool. Oftentimes in life, words can end up consuming somebody and somebody's whole entire life ends up being ruined by what comes out of their mouth. You know who I think of at this point in the New Testament? I think of James. You remember what James says in chapter 3 about the power of the tongue? He gives those analogies out of nature. And out of everyday life, he gives the analogy of the, of, of the great old big shipping vessel, the boat, with controlled by the little rudder. He gives the example of the bit in the horse's mouth. And in both of those illustrations, here's something massive in size. Control the direction of that thing, whatever it is, whether it's animate or inanimate. The control of that object is, is done by something that's very small by comparison. And James says that's how the tongue can be. That's how life can be. It's been said that the average human tongue is only about four ounces. But here you take a grown man, let's say he weighs 200 pounds, and that four ounces can determine the outcome of his life and his relationships all around him. We need to be careful of our words. James says the tongue is a fire. It it can have a way of just consuming and destroying everything around you. And Solomon is saying basically the same thing here. In verse 12, Solomon reminds us how the words of a wise man build up others and help out. As Christians, we need to constantly be examining whether or not we're edifying others with our words and building them up. Verse 13, Solomon says here that when it comes to a fool, his words start off bad. They don't get better. They get worse. And yet the irony is, as verse 14 points out, the fool just keeps on talking. He never knows when to be quiet. Now it's believed that the second part of verse 14 seems to indicate that he brags and he brags and he brags. He boasts about tomorrow and yet he doesn't know what tomorrow will bring forth. And verse 15 in that context probably contains a little bit of humor. Solomon says that the foolish man is so foolish he can't even find his way into the city. 
Now, assuming he's speaking of the same person, here's a guy boasting about tomorrow and multiplying words, but he can't even find his way into town. Now, what's so funny about that, and, and, and you wouldn't know this without understanding the background back then, but you would leave the ancient villages, and guess what? All of the roads led into town. So how in the world could you get on a road where all the roads lead to one place and yet you can't even find that one place? Solomon says that's how the fool is. In verse 20 he talks about the wise man will be careful about gossip. He'll keep close to his chest what he thinks about people. He knows all too well how something harsh or critical said in secret can find its way to public ears. We've all heard the saying, a little birdie told me so, right? It's believed that this verse right here is where that saying, that everyday saying that we use, this verse is where that saying comes from. You can be standing around in a break room gossiping about your boss in the morning and everybody may seem to agree, but by the end of the day, the the boss seems to know what was said and, and who said it. And your job may be even in jeopardy. So Solomon is warning us about the dangers of the tongue. The person who wants to live wisely and enjoy life It's going to be his prayer every day. Lord, set a guard over my tongue. Help me to use this gift of language that you've given uh, to human uh, beings. Help me to use this gift wisely and use this gift to build others up and further what you're about in the world. Don't despise small things and realize that words matter. A third life principle that he gives us here. A third life principle is that we are to live by faith. In chapter 11, he says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Just because life is so uncertain, as he's already pointed out, doesn't mean that we dig a hole in the ground, crawl up in it, and quit living. And so he says, Cast your bread upon the waters. Now, a couple of interpretations have been put forth on this verse. First of all, it is believed that it refers to maritime commerce. Now, we're told in the book of 1 Kings that Solomon had a fleet of ships, so probably that interpretation fits best. Back then, they would gather all their grain in from the fields, the large farmers... And if you were a really large farmer and you took your grain to the marketplace and sold it, you may take it down to the port and your grain would be loaded on the shipping vessels of the day and it would go to another country where the sale would be made. Now ships could sink, they could run into storms, they could run aground on a reef. There were all kinds of dangers. And so what if a merchant were to say, you know what, if I end up harvesting my fields and putting all my produce and grain on a ship and that ship pulls out a port and, and is going to another village, where I, uh, another country where I think I'm going to end up making a profit, something could happen to that ship. And so I'm not going to put my grain there. I'm just going to leave it in the field and let it rot. Well, that would bring financial ruin to that merchant. 
Solomon is saying you've got to live by faith. You can't hunker down in fear and never do anything because something at some time or another in your life might go wrong. And so he gives the advice, cast your bread upon the waters. In other words, live by faith. It may be months before your ship returns and you make your profit. But guess what? You've got to risk it. You can't give up on life just because there are dangers lurking out there. Another popular interpretation of this verse. Some look at it as be kind to the needy. Open your hands to the needy. Cast your bread upon the waters. Share with others because if you do that in your time of need, guess what? They're going to remember that and you're going to reap what you've sown. That's true too, but again, I think in the context, the other interpretation is better. Now verse 2 tempers verse 1. In verse 2 he says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So verse 1 is telling us to live by faith, but verse 2 is telling us to use some common sense while we live by faith. Now the modern day equivalent of verse 2 is don't put all your eggs in one basket. And so Solomon is either saying put all your grain on seven or eight different ships or spread out your wealth to seven or eight totally different kinds of investments. Now folks, if you've been reading your stock reports lately, you realize the the, the wisdom in that, right? If you've got all your eggs in one basket, if all your wealth is tied up in the stock market, boy, you've been going for quite a ride lately, hadn't you? And there's been some weeks you close out and you've lost a lot of money. So Solomon is saying diversify. One ship can sink, but guess what? If one ship sinks, if, if your wealth is on seven or eight, you still got seven ships with all your, your valuable goods. Or if your wealth is distributed between grain and livestock and land and all sorts of things, one market could go belly up, but guess what? All the other markets are going to pull you through. And so living by faith doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind. We also need to make smart choices in life. The next illustration he gives in verses 3 and 4 is of farming and then the forces of nature. Daniel Webster called farmers the the founders of civilization. Thomas Jefferson referred to farmers as the chosen people. Verse 3 and 4 point out that there are predictable and unpredictable forces of nature. A tree falls and it, and it stays where it falls. Clouds that are full are more, more than likely going to pour out their rain. If not on your land, at least nearby. On the other hand, verse 4 talks about the wind. The wind is totally unpredictable. Now what if a farmer were to say, nature, nature in a fallen universe is too unpredictable, therefore this year I'm not going to plant anything. He would starve, wouldn't he? He'd starve. Verse 4 is probably also not saying not just unpredictable, but uh, the farmer who wants everything perfect before he even begins. The result is the same. If he's got to have everything perfect, he's got to have bedrock guarantees in life before he sows his seed. Guess what? He's going to go hungry. But you know, I've met people like this before. They never want to venture out in faith and make any choices or decisions in life because something might happen. If I go away to that college, I might fail. 
If I marry, it may not work out. If I take that new job and move my family, guess what? I, I, I might get laid off. If I do this, if I do that, if I do this, it may not work. And, and, and they think everything's got to be perfect before they can step forward. And you know what Solomon is saying? People who live like that are going to go through life and they're going to miss out on a whole bunch. Because guess what, folks? Life is full of uncertainties, isn't it? We live in a fallen universe. We live in a fallen universe. We see the consequences and the effects of sin all around us. We live in a world where bad things happen even to seemingly good people. We live in a world where natural disasters take place. We live in a world where you can't always count on the forces of nature to be consistent and work in in, in your favor. That's just the kind of world that we live in. And guess what? On top of that, we serve a God who loves us enough to sometimes allow what seems to us to be bad things to come into our life. You say, would God do that? Yeah, God does that. Why does God do that? He does that to test us and prove us and grow our character. But you know, the people of God can have the assurance that He works all things together for good to those who love Him. Amen? Even the things we don't understand. But at the time as we're going through something, you know what? The ways of God can seem so mysterious. And we don't understand until we look back. And we look back on it and we see what God was up to. Some time ago I was having lunch with Sam Bullock in our church. And I told Sam, Sam shared something with me. And I said, Sam, you're going to end up as a sermon illustration one day. So he said, okay. Well, Sam went to Clemson University. I guess we can forgive him of that. And he got his degree in agriculture and horticulture. He said that he had a chemistry teacher that he absolutely loved. And this was the kind of teacher that made students want to learn. Sam said every day students would go by his office and they would ask for help. He had six desks in his office. And students every day would be filling up those desks. They would be in that professor's office. And they would be getting tutored by by that professor. And they'd be working on their chemistry problems. Sam said, I was one of them. He said, plus on top of that, we had the motivation that if we earned so much extra credit, we could avoid the final exam. Sam said, I missed getting out of the final exam by one point. One point. So I had to sit for the final exam. He said, fortunately, I made a hundred on the final exam. But he said, you know, leaving class uh, that semester... Leaving finals that semester, that professor stopped me and he said, Sam, what, what are you going to be up to this summer? And Sam said, I looked at him and I told him, I said, well, sir, things are real tight for my family right now. So I'm probably going to go back home to a small town in South Carolina where he's from. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to find a job and I'm going to work and I'm probably done with school. And the professor said, hang on just a minute. Picked up the phone and called another professor. 
And he said, don't we have one more of those fruits and vegetable scholarships that the state of South Carolina is offering to a student at Clemson? And the other professor said, yeah. To make a long story short, Sam got the scholarship. And he was able to stay in school. Changed his, his major went in a little different direction. His life ended up going in that direction. But Sam said, you know what? I look back on that now. And what if I had earned enough extra credit to miss the final exam? He said, I'd have missed the final exam. I'd have just dropped out of school that semester, gone back, got a job, probably never gone back, and who knows where my life would have been. Looking back, he saw how God was working. Isn't that the way God works? He says here, we don't know the path of the wind. We don't know how God knits together the bones of a baby inside his mother's womb. We don't know these things. But guess what? God does. And God's at work. And so Solomon says in verse 6, Sow your seed, don't be idle. Who knows the outcome? Trust God enough to go ahead and do what you know to be doing. Disaster might strike. It might not strike. If it does strike and you lose all your crops this year, guess what? Put the seed in the ground again next year. Don't let uncertainties of life and unpredictabilities of life and nature Keep you from living by faith. We read in the Bible, we turn to a chapter like Hebrews 11, the roll call of faith. And we read about Abraham and Moses and David and all the other saints of God. And folks, what is it that we notice about all the saints of God that we read their stories and we admire them so much? You know what it is? It is the way that they stepped out and lived by faith. I mean, think of how difficult it must have been for Abram. Abram in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. And God said, Abram, I want you to, I want you to uh, leave where you are. And I want you to go to this land that I'm going to show you. And you see, God knew that he was about to, to build a whole new people, a whole new nation. His chosen people, the Hebrews, through, through Abram, he was making a whole new start. But what is it that Abram had to do? Abraham had to step out by faith and go, didn't he? There was Moses. Tending his father-in-law's flocks there in Midian. And and God came to Moses in that burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. God, are you crazy? That Pharaoh back there is looking for me. I've killed a man and he'll take my life. Go. And I want you to deliver my people. Here's David facing Goliath. Goliath who's mocking God and the armies of God. And David said, how can this be? And so he took those smooth stones and his slingshot. And he went out on that battlefield and he did battle against Goliath. And God gave him the victory. You know what? All the saints of old that we read about and admire in the Bible, guess what? They lived by faith. And you know what Solomon is saying to you and I? We've got to do the same thing. We've got to live by faith. So if God's laid something on your heart to do, has God laid on your heart to take your family to the mission field? Has God laid on your heart to share the gospel with that co-worker? Has God laid on your heart to teach that Sunday school class at church? Has God laid on your heart to do something related to the, to the ministry? Guess what? Step out in faith and do it. 
And trust God enough that He can handle all the uncertainties of your future. Well, a final lesson He wants to give us out of this chapter. Enjoy life as a gift from God. Beginning there in verse 7, He says, Life is sweet, it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the days of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Solomon is saying here, the light is, the light is pleasant. Don't dread the morning sun. Don't dread a new day. Don't have the attitude, oh no, another day. What's the Bible say? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Solomon says it's good for the eyes to see the sun. In other words, it's good to be alive. It's good to get another day of life. Some most tragic lives of all, I think, are people who are so depressed and tired of life that another day is just drudgery to them. You ever met people like that? The glass is always just half empty. They're always looking on the bad or the negative side of things. Verse 8, Solomon comments that if you have a long life, enjoy your days and years. Remember also the dark times. Dark times are going to be a part of life. Remember those times too. They served a temper life. All of life is not going to be a party. God teaches you through those dark days. Plus, those dark days make the sunny days all the sunnier and brighter, don't they? So they've got a purpose. Solomon is saying, you know what he's saying here? He's saying redeem the time. Redeem the time. Make the most out of your life. In verse 9, he, he, he began saying to young people, guess what, young people? Enjoy the days of your youth. You know one thing we're doing as a society today? I, I mean, we're just robbing kids of, of innocence. I mean, kids aren't innocent, but you know what I'm saying. But it's like we're just robbing childhood of all of its innocence, Right? And, and, I mean, children don't know. I mean, look at all the, the things, the adult themes and circumstances that they're being exposed to today. It's tragic. And on top of that, it's like kids don't really know how to go outside and have fun anymore, do they? Folks, let them go outside and get muddy and throw the football and wrestle around in the mud or the creek. That's what washing machines and detergent are for, right? Let kids be kids. I mean, our primary responsibility, we want to train up godly kids and a godly heritage. But while kids are kids, for goodness sake, let them be kids for a little while. I mean, the days are going to come fast enough that they've got all the burdens and all the responsibilities and all the bills of life, right? Now, Solomon is careful in what he's saying here. He's not saying to young people, go out and live in sin. Spurgeon said to young people, you know, don't sow wild oats and then pray for crop failure. You know, go out and enjoy life, have fun with life, but within the proper boundaries because guess what? There's coming a day that you're going to stand before God's judgment. 
But young people, enjoy life a little bit. Lighten up and enjoy life. Enjoy your younger years. I've given you some lessons there you can see on your own. But hastening on this morning, I just want, I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody this morning. That you've neglected small things in your life. And right now, right here today, I'm talking to somebody. That there's something festering there in the background of your life. Something's there. Oh, you'd be ashamed, you'd be deeply ashamed of it if somehow or another we could broadcast, get a snapshot of your heart or mind and broadcast that right up on this screen this morning. You'd be so embarrassed for folks to find out about it. But you know what? You've been satisfied just to let it sit right there in your heart or your mind. And you've not been dealing with that. I want to say to you this morning, deal with that before it causes some serious consequences in your life. Lay it at the feet of the master and say, Lord Jesus, maybe this is too big for me to handle in my strength. Would you help me? Would you help me overcome this? I may be talking to somebody else with this little four ounce thing between your teeth. You've set the course of your life on fire and you've hurt Maybe family members and friends around you. And you, you, you've, everywhere you've gone, there's been destruction, the way of destruction because of things that you've said that have hurt people. Maybe in the past. Maybe it's something God's forgiven you of, but in the past, maybe you've even destroyed a marriage or two or a family relationship with parents or somebody because of what you said. You know what you need to do? You need to allow God to deal with your words this morning. Say, God, set a guard over my lips. I want words that encourage and edify and don't tear down. Somebody else in here, is God calling on you to step out in some kind of venture of faith? And you know it's God. You know God's been putting it on your heart. It's not just the pepperoni pizza you ate last night. I mean, you know this is something God's been putting on your heart to do. And you know it's God trying to get your attention. But you've been saying, you know what? I just don't know how it might turn out. Well, you let God worry about that. If God's called you to it, He'll supply the means and the way and He'll get you to the outcome that He has planned for you. Amen? Maybe somebody else in here who has never turned their life over to Jesus Christ. In the ultimate sort of way, there's no way you can live wisely if you don't even have peace with God. That's the first step. I'd like to pray with you about that today. Would you stand? Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens behind us. As Jonathan and musicians lead us. If you're looking for a church home, you make your way down as well. But come to this altar if you're dealing with small things, words, some opportunity to live by faith. And you just need to make a public commitment before God. You come forward and you make that decision.